Hello and welcome back to Podcast from the Edge with me, Peter Bruce. It's good to be back, although I wish the news was better. South Africa's got itself into a terrible mess with the Americans and it's hard to overstate the gravity of, of what's transpired. Suffice to say that right from the start, that when the leaders of the G7, um, the informal group of the world's biggest industrialized democracies, meet in Japan this weekend, our president, Cyril Ramaphosa, familiar recent invitee to these meetings, will not be among them. Ramaphosa has attended every single G7 summit. The G7 is the US, Canada, France, Germany, the UK, Italy and Japan, ever since he replaced Jacob Zuma in 2018. The decision not to invite him now was clearly deliberate and a clear indication of the West's discomfort and displeasure at what appears to have been a marked stance of support, or at least sympathy, uh, with the Russian invasion last year of Ukraine. After the widely reported but supposedly clandestine visit to Simonstown naval base last December of a Russian freighter frequently used to carry weapons, the Lady R, monitored by the Americans and during which they clearly think they saw arms or munitions being loaded onto the ship as well as others being loaded off, Ramaphosa's invitation would have been quietly screwed up and dropped into a wastebin. In short, SA under Ramaphosa has become somewhat unmoored from the West, and that may play well politically in some quarters, perhaps in his own party, but wait until the real, real-life effects begin to show. Such has been the drift uh, in the presidency, in government generally, since Ramaphosa became president, uh, that even in the face of obvious, real and present danger, he seems to be literally unaware of it. Take the case of Russian President Vladimir Putin, who was recently charged by the International Criminal Court with the abduction uh, of children from Ukraine to Russia, a criminal offence surely in any civilised country. Well, South Africa's been in a pickle because Putin is due here for a BRICS summit in August and we are legally obliged to arrest him. So unconnected does Ramaphosa appear to have become that in a press conference with the President of Finland the other day, he declared that South Africa was indeed withdrawing from the ICC. It took anyone less than a second to assume that was to get out of having to arrest Putin when he's here. But no, it turns out Ramaphosa thought he was reporting the decisions made by a meeting of the ANC National Executive he had just chaired, when in fact it had decided literally the very opposite, to remain a member of the court. How do you get something that wrong if you're paying attention? But even if the short-term memory is a bit wonky, the longer-term issue of a souring mood towards South Africa and the West, and the G7 particularly, should, surely, you would have thought, have made some impression on Ramaphosa as his diplomats in the United Nations abstain time after time when offered an opportunity to condemn Russia's blatant invasion of the sovereignty of another country. We're now told that a few months ago, Sidney Mufamadi, a former ANC heavyweight, now um, employed teaching at a university in Johannesburg and moonlighting as Ramaphosa's security advisor, had been asked to lead a delegation to the US to explain Pretoria's stance. There's a lot at stake. 
You know, there's a vast amount of money that flows between the US and South Africa. And under the African Growth and Opportunities Act, AGOA, a large share of our share of the 400 billion in annual trade between us gets into the US duty-free because we're in AGOA. AGOA is up for renewal in 2025 and it is US senators and congresswomen who say we're in or we're out, not Joe Biden. Out would literally flatten our economy. So Cyril recognized that someone should perhaps talk to the Americans. And they were there earlier this month, accompanied um, by the sparky and bow-tied U.S. ambassador in South Africa, Reuben Brigitte. While they were in the U.S., the visit of the Lady R came up, and at least two senators accused South Africa of loading weapons onto the ship. The South Africans pleaded innocence. No, no, they cried. Arms sales from South Africa are strictly monitored. They may have been assuming, of course, as Ramaphosa still seems to, that we somehow live in a, you know, a smoothly functioning country where there is no venality and something like this was just out of the question and, and simply not possible. They promised the Americans a judicial, a judicial inquiry, which, uh, though it may make us all groan, is not a bad idea provided it's quick. Okay, we, we know it won't be quick. Um, and we, we also know the lady oh, switched off a transponder. We know the Americans were tracking it. We know they warned us about it. We know it was escorted into False Bay at dusk that Tuesday evening at the beginning of December by two South African naval vessels. We know naval personnel at the dock were kept away from the ship and its cargo by other military, but we don't know who they were. We know the ship offloaded containers and that these were taken to a military base near Hoodsprate, up in, up in the north. What a judge can do, a retired judge apparently, is going to run this inquiry, not been chosen yet, um, is get all the paperwork. Who ordered the escort for the Lady R? If its transponder was off, how did our ships find it? There has to be paper. Who unloaded the containers and who transported them? And if it's true the Lady R was delivering a pre-COVID shipment of weapons for our special forces, that's our story. They, there is a, there is a, uh, there are South African units that that work in Africa uh, and use uh, Warsaw-packed uh, caliber weapons, AK-47s, for for example. Who placed that order? Who approved it? And please, can we have a record of that decision? Anyway, Brigitte on his return from that trip to the U.S. with the South Africans, made public last week the accusation that we had loaded arms onto the vessel. He said he'd put his life on it. And that, of course, put us and the Russians, uh, together with close friends in the same headline on the front pages of newspapers around the world. What standing we have in the West, if not collapsed, certainly sagged uh, uh, remarkably sharply. And the RAND took a terrible hammering. Quite frankly, while Ramaphosa is in office, it's hard to imagine it returning to the halcyon days of 16 to the dollar, 16 RAND to the dollar, of just a few months ago. And this, of course, the US currency collapses due to some unforeseen event. So distant had he become by now from reality that he seemed at one stage to suggest the fall in the RAND might be a good thing, because, you know, it would be more competitive. Ho, ho. A diplomatic row followed. Brigitte apologized, but only for the diplomatic lapse, not the actual accusation. 
that's important to remember that as far as the biggest economy in the world is concerned, still we have fed the Russian war machine during its invasion of a sovereign neighbor. Now, the South African government is jolly proud of itself for forcing the, the, the diplomatic uh, retraction, um, but it was no more than that. Huge damage has been done, mainly the fault of a president who has simply taken his eyes off the ball. He's tired of his job, and I think people who've been commentating recently suggesting that he would love to walk away from it are absolutely spot on. But he can't walk away from this job without triggering a near certain retake of a parliamentary vote into whether he should be investigated for the huge amount of money, real dollars, stolen from inside couches at his parlor parlor game farm in Limpopo in 2020. In the meantime, the Department of International Relations and Cooperation, God, that's an exhausting title, DERCO, i.e. the Foreign Affairs Department, has come up with a good wheeze to explain our continued protection of the Russian invader. We are, they've recently rediscovered, non-aligned. Ramaphosa even mentioned it again in his latest Monday newsletter where he says South Africa won't be drawn into a conflict between two powers. The next breath, he's telling us that he's uh, offered to mediate in the same conflict between the two powers. But still, let's just leave that for a moment. If you look for any mention of us being non-aligned in the early months of South African statements on the Russian invasion, you will look in vain. But yes, we are part of the non-aligned movement, a largely moribund relic of the 1960s and the First Cold War. It holds a summit every three or four years and to which very few South African leaders actually go. They send ministers. Uh, there was one held in Durban in 1988, but uh, apart from that, South Africa um, uh, doesn't make much of its membership of the non-aligned movement and probably for good reason, practically half the world, more than half the world, more than ha- certainly the majority of the countries at the, in the United Nations uh, are probably members of the of of the non-aligned movement. There are 150 members of the NAM, roughly. And sadly, being a member doesn't quite give South Africa the room to support or entertain an aggressor like Putin that it might want. Uh, at its 2019 summit uh, in October in Azerbaijan, I think that was, um, uh, attended and our delegation was led by Foreign Minister Naledi Pandal, um, the non-aligned movement declaration at the end of the um, summit said that, uh, quote, non-aligned movement member states shall refrain from any action against the territorial integrity, sovereignty and political independence of any state or inconsistent with the purposes and principles of the Charter of the United Nations, which is exactly what Russia has done. It's not a member of the non-aligned movement, but but it it certainly falls under into the spirit of what the NAM uh, was talking about then, and, and for which we would have put our hand up at the time, no doubt. The same summit declared its strong support um, for the International Criminal Court. Uh, the non-aligned states, parties to the Rome Statute of the ICC, continue to underscore the necessity of the independence of the ICC in accordance with its judicial nature said the NAM statement. Quote, They stated that the Security Council's responsibilities under the Charter of the UN 
should not limit the role of the court as a judicial body. The court should be empowered to pronounce on acts of aggression independently, which is exactly what it's done uh, in, char- in, in charging Putin with abduction of children from the Ukraine. We put our hand up for that too. Now, obviously, it's not so convenient now, uh, nor is the fact that at the UN, most NAM members have voted in favor of at least one, often many more, uh, resolution condemning the Russian invasion, or at least recognizing Russia as the aggressor in the conflict. Except us. We're sort of more non-aligned than anyone else. We're non-aligned in a very special way. And if there were a modicum of principle in our position, we, were, we would have heard it by now. But it isn't there. What is there is a bankrupt political party prepared to sell its soul in its country for funding. Sherlock Holmes put it well. When you've eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. And I think the truth here is that having eliminated every other possibility, it is more likely than not that Russian money is funding the ANC and that it depends on Russian funding to see it through the election next year. This, after all, is a party that couldn't pay salaries a few months ago. Party funding may also explain the sudden surge in official support, even from Ramaphosa, for the use of gas-burning car power ships in our harbours as a quick solution to load shedding as the election nears. Sadly, not so quick, Mr. President. Even if you could sign today, there'd be, a, there'd be no power from these ships before the election. They might have to think again. But what an unworthy, sad and pathetic way to go. Scrambling for money while trying to make it look like a struggle to improve lives. Were the opposition in this country not so feeble and disjointed, the ANC would lose the election next year 100% sure. It may not happen, given the way things are, but the party, like almost everything else that's touched in the country, is dying. And that starts with Ramaphosa's presidency, which just seems increasingly disjointed and hopeless. He assumes that because he appoints ministers, that they actually do their jobs. He put almost no thought or effort into the creation of economic policy, and we no longer hear anything from the glittering advisory council he once appointed, economic advisory council. The only reform with which you can genuinely be credited as lifting the limits in privately generated electricity, that only came when there was literally no alternative. No can left to kick down the road. The plans around ESCOM now have a, have a ring of real panic. And you can imagine the conversation going on in the ANC as the election years and the, and the electricity situation literally gets worse by the day. Every time we promise stage four, it ends up being stage six. This plant keeps falling over. And now talk of the power ships leaves even the newly appointed electricity minister, uh, the ever-smiling Jose Enzo Ramachopa, in the dust. He was last seen pushing for getting on with fixing ESCOM's plant, which is really just a version of what ESCOM I've been saying for years and what Ramaphosa last year <clears throat> and his emergency uh, energy council have pushed for. But I fear they've already lost faith in that part. They need load shedding to stop literally today. Now, immediately. 
that's the scale of their panic. And sadly, Ramaphosa made such a mess of the pandemic, the country's barely recovered, so there's nothing much to trumpet there. Um, other countries, our size and shape have charged ahead, but they're better led and better focused. Simple. Almost no state institutions work anymore. And he's pushed for localization. This is the big economic dream of a reindustrialized, reinvigorated, and sweetly transformed economy brimming with newly successful black industrialists. That's been an absolute catastrophe. And it wasn't COVID that did it either. It was the president himself. Under the cover of COVID, he erected a bewildering array of, or, 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 or sanctioned the erection, if he was aware of them, of a bewildering array of trade barriers to keep out imports, um, including, including keeping out imports of products we don't even make here, um, uh, and which have created almost none of the jobs he said they would. But instead what they've done is they've raised prices of locally priced goods, raised inflation, raised interest rates, which have all destroyed jobs, put people out of business. Basic stuff like chicken and steel. Those prices have just gone through the roof. A man just can't get anything right. By now he'd promised ESCOM's transmission network would have been spun off into a separate company which would then buy electricity happily from all these new private generators. That hasn't happened yet. It won't happen before the election now either. There isn't even a board. Ramaphosa's greatest sin is hubris. He assumed that the rules that made big countries rich were easily transferred. That it was just a mere case of copy and paste. China did it, so why can't we? But big countries are different. N nowhere is this clearer than in BRICS, uh, where we're the smallest and least significant member. China, India, Russia, Brazil have all got the th two things that we don't. Huge, huge domestic markets and massive, massive land masses. These countries can live off or at least grow off their internal markets for decades if they need to. We can't. If we can't export, we die. But reality is the least of Ramaphosa's worries now. He has to deliver a majority for the ANC next year or he's toast. Frankly, whatever happens in the election, win, lose or draw, I doubt he'll see out a second term. We're merely talking now about the terms of his political parole. Will he be able to relax on his farm or his house in Cape Town, which still works? Or does he spend the next 20 years looking over his shoulder, as Jacob Zuma has had to do? It's all quite a remove from the hope that followed him into office in 2018, those sunny morning walks with Trevor Manuel along the Seapoint Boulevard. But there isn't a thing he has done that he has been forced to do. All his woes and all his failures are his alone. This is a man who just doesn't listen to experts, even though he hires them by the dozen. His orders come from the party, and they are not the brightest people in the land. We should take heart, though. The South African state has failed, someone said the other day, but South Africans haven't failed, and I think that's so true. And yes, one day in the next five years, load shedding will end. We will get on top of this, and obviously the more quickly the government gets out of the way, the quicker that might happen as well. And when Russia does lose the war that it started and the funds to the ANC dry up, 
and it has run out of things to steal at home, its end is truly nigh. The great thing about what's happening to the ANC now is that it's falling apart. You know, we don't know what what replaces it, but it has to go. Our job in the meanwhile is to protect our democracy, which is truly precious, the most precious thing we have as South Africans. It's a rare thing. The way to do that is simple. You register to vote in next year's elections. You can do it now, today. And on the election day, get out and use that vote. Because if we don't use our freedom, there are way too many desperate people in SA who would just love to take it away from us. And on that note, I'll stop. Thanks so much for joining me. Let's agree not to be frightened and let's agree to be safe. You know, at the top of his Twitter feed, the former Time magazine editor, Richard Stengel, reminds us beautifully that there aren't two sides to a lie. Be non-partisan, but not neutral. Be biased in favor of truth, of democracy itself. Those are good rules for South Africans to live by. See you next week. Bye now. Thank you.